What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to episode 86 of the Disruptors for Good podcast. Today, we're going to speak with Tim Hollinger, the co-founder of Bathing Culture, on using no new plastic to create their line of natural and sustainable bathing products. Amazing conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. So usually how I like to start these conversations is is really about an individual's journey and really a, a brand's journey for being created. I mean, usually it takes a, a really long time for somebody to figure out, you know, what they want to do when starting a, a company and a brand is a big decision. A lot of time, a lot of, a lot of money is going to go into it. It's a big life decision. So we had spoke a little bit earlier about how you and your partner Spencer had met up. So let's talk about like really truly early days of how you guys met in general i love this question there's so many places to start grant it's amazing but but so yeah the story of how i got to be kind of this co-founder the company bathing culture this national brand that's really shaping the conversation around personal care using organic ingredients making sure those ingredients are biodegradable uh that it's refillable really a, a brand with integrity that is helping both personal and planetary health, mm. but also bringing a lot of joy to people and mm. how mm. they shower. So it's like that there are all of these different threads that have fed into this journey that, that got me there. <laughs> and a lot of it, I mean, we go all the way back to when I was in school and I, I, uh, I hated school. <laughs> I thought the system was really like stupid. You know, I, I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I'm a kid. I want to be outside. I want to yeah. be in nature. I want to be running around. And uh, I'm super dyslexic and uh, I would spend as little amount of time in school as possible as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I would just go home. I would beg my mom. I'd be like, oh, I'm sick. Mom. <laughs> or I would leave school. And I had this big vegetable garden. I was always outside. I grew up in um, rural New England. And I would go out. I would get out of school. And I had this vegetable garden. I would grow vegetables. Mm -hmm. And I, this is like, even I was like five years old yeah <laughs> and i would pack up a wagon and just drag the wagon around and and drop off vegetables at different people's <laughs> houses around the neighborhood and, and get money for them uh and then i had like a, a snow blowing business and then i started painting houses when i was like 13 um, with like a bunch of buddies and was always kind of doing this stuff and you know it made me really think about like hey there there are opportunities out here i always had this drive to to kind of find things that worked and at the same time i was really kind of my experience in school where i was like why is this like why do we learn like this like why mm -hmm. is someone like telling me what to do really made me like question everything um and i think like taking things for granted was has always been something it's like hey like why why is this system the way that we do things or why right. why is this so anyway the school stuff you know i wasn't doing great in school and so i got sent to a special school for dyslexic kids and it was a really cool opportunity because i got to see all of these other folks who mm. uh you know maybe they could read very well or spell very well um but just had like incredible brains and really just like the, the idea of neural diversity and that, right. you know, there are so many different ways to do things has always been something that's just been so cool. So exciting <laughs> to me. Uh, but so there I met uh, Spencer, who's my co-founder, ended up, you know, we, we ended up uh, getting really close, kind of we were roommates for three years. Uh, and then the two of us went in different directions. The school was really good. It was called Kildonan. It's since 
closed down. Uh, but we actually both got to a point where we were able to get into college. Wow. Um, so both of us went to college and uh, he went out to Colorado and became a ski bum. And I went <laughs> to upstate New York. And something that I had always really loved, and I think it was because reading had been so hard for me, like I loved listening. Yeah. It's like podcast, like I love mm -hmm. podcasts, like this yeah. stuff's so great. Um, but so I'd listen to the radio a lot. And my dream job had been to work in uh, radio for National Public Radio. That was mm. like, that was it for me. Sure. Like, oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> uh, and so there was a college radio station uh, and I ended up getting a job there. And then I was able to kind of wiggle my way into working for the uh, local NPR affiliate news station. Oh, nice. Uh, and so while I was in college, I was working for this NPR station and it was fascinating. I mean, I got to do some, got to interview, you know, governors and all different sorts of folks. And I really loved it, but I also felt like I was on the sideline. Mm. Like I felt yeah. like it was just like, you're just watching things happen mm. or telling people what's going on. Uh, and I really, I, I really felt like the, the way to have a huge impact was right now at this time in history was through business and through kind of the impact and the power that they have, uh, which is also a little problematic. <laughs> you sure, know, a lot sure, of folks sure. are like from NGOs and doing this amazing charitable work on, on the podcast. And I'm, you know, in such awe of that work and, and what that takes and, and the rewards. But but yeah, so I went and I uh, I was like, all right, green technology, that's the thing. Mm. So I started working for a green green technology startup and it was, we were selling light bulbs, okay. uh, LED light bulbs. Sure. Uh, so we'd do these big retrofits and it was so weird because we'd do like coal mines and like big like oil rig, like the, the types of industry that was interested in it because we would, the wholesale would be from a, a cost savings perspective, not from an environmental mm. perspective. Uh, and so I was, I was really about the environmental aspect. Uh, but that's great. Then, you can do both, right? You can serve both, you know, cost effective yeah. and environmental effective. That's the dream, the dream product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really was. And I mean, we were, we were doing great too. And it, it also kind of taught me too, that a lot of the way to get as much as, you know, I have this passion or we have this passion for putting the environment first in, in a lot of these things or people and planet first a lot of people are just not there mm -hmm. and aren't going to be able to think about it that way or justify things that way. Sure. And so things have to make sense economically as well, which, which I think was a really important lesson that I've, I've carried forward. But yeah, so did that. And I was like, wow, you know, business is so easy. The people who are running this business <laughs> are, are like, you know, not very confident. Uh, so I left and I tried to start a startup and it was a disaster and it failed. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, like that was just a fluke. You know, people say, you know, fail fast and keep trying. And, and so I tried to start another startup and that failed. Um, and I like flailed for a little bit. And I mean, I still flail, but, but I really, I kind of came away. I tried to do a startup. It was kind of fun. It was essentially like healthy Lunchables. Sure. So farm oh, to yeah, school man. table. Yeah. Yeah. Bread meals. And that, that was really cool that it, it has legs. It's still a great idea, but I mean, the two highest liability areas that you're going to see are businesses with kids and businesses with food. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like combining those two things yeah. along with like having zero experience in both of those areas is is just was not a good not a good formula um but so i but yeah i, I feel like you must be regretting that you asked this question i'm not even, I'm hey like, no so so <laughs> when i guess it's it it's always three. it's always well it's always interesting to like you said you you kind of played around in a bunch of different sectors right but then yeah. as what was it about the the sort of clean you know bath shaving sort of this this cleanliness sort of sector that really you know got your attention was it spencer because as you mentioned before i think give a little background on him you said he was one of the first employees at rothy's which is a really big sort of global shoe brand at this point um was did, did he come to you after his time there and saying hey i think we can do something like this in a different sector did you go to him and say hey i've been doing some research here's what i see how, how'd that sort of yeah. come together to, to actually start uh baby totally. culture well so yeah i after the the kind of healthy lunchables uh yeah. debacle uh <laughs> i i was like all right i gotta go work with some people who anyone can start a business yeah um you know grant you and i we could go down to sure. city hall and file some paperwork today and boom it's it's done it can even sound great on paper but not many people can scale uh, an organization. And so I was really like reflecting on kind of some of my failures. I was like, I, or not even failures, but learnings was like, I need to learn how to scale something. And so I went and I joined a technology startup in San Francisco with a team of people. I really selected it for the team that had, you know, built several products and had brought them to market and then had done that. And you know, it's kind of funny because that company also failed. And then we, the group started another company that I stayed on for that, that ended up doing, doing well. Um, but so it was like another layer of learnings there. But so while I was there, Spencer was living in, in San Francisco. He, when I got to San Francisco, he was working in uh, commercial finance. Mm-hmm. And that was the craziest thing ever because this guy, I mean, if you've met, like, like he is such an artist. Uh, and, you know, he was like, uh, had been, you know, a really like a, in Japanese ski magazines, he plays the cello, just this very kind of this guy and the commercial financing didn't really matter. Right, and right. He was like, I don't want to be doing this. So he quit his job and he went hiking. Uh, and he was over in like the Himalayas for like a year. He went and lived in Japan. Uh, and he came back and he was like, you know, I really... I want to, I want to do something with you. Like I want to, we, we should do a mm-hmm. business together. You're, mm-hmm. you're so interested in this. And he had seen just in the Himalayas, like there's a lot of trash burning, mm. like the, the sanitation's really bad. Sure. You'd be in these beautiful places and it's just, you know, smogged in or people right. are kind of burning chip bags or, right. or, you know, whatever. And it's like, man, you can't go anywhere without <laughs> kind of seeing this stuff. Uh, and so he and I kind of started talking about, you know, different, different opportunities. And at that point he was like, you know what, I can't, I can't wait for you, Tim. I'm going to go join, join this company, gotcha. Rothy's. Gotcha. Uh, and so he got on Roth, Roth, at, he started at Rothy's. He was actually there. Um, they brought him in as kind of a jack of all trades, but he quickly sure. became head of sustainability there. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was really fascinating because we would still, he was working there and then we would meet and we would be talking and we'd say, you know, hey, yeah. what are, 
what are the areas where people really can have a big impact? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like as individuals, as consumers, you know, sometimes it feels kind of like powerless, you know, like some of our our decisions don't make a really big like impact. Mm -hmm. And something we kept coming back to over and over again was, you know, the products that we use every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we would go on these epic adventures. We would be, you know, biking up in the mountains around San Francisco and uh, going climbing and a lot of surfing and we'd be out there and it would just be this incredible experience. And there were a couple of hikes we would go on that would take us to hot springs. So you'd go out, you'd hike like 10 miles and you'd get to like hop in a hot spring. And that'll change your perspective a ton when you see like a beautiful like hot spring there's some in like southern missouri and northern arkansas very just hidden gems of like just beautiful beautiful hot springs man and once you see that like it's just a different things just change right you just understand like the beauty of nature in a whole nother way oh my gosh yeah so so yeah so that we would have these incredible experiences we would go out and even like surfing we'd be like wow like why can't i have this feeling Mm. I'm in the shower. Mm-hmm. Why can't I, you know, I, I go out, I have this like incredible natural experience and I go home and I take a shower and, you know, I was doing this really long trail runs and I would get home and, and just the products that you'd use mm-hmm. in the shower, you know, you'd flip the label on that sure. stuff and it's like, you can't recognize any of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. You start Googling it and it's just the cancer risks, the environmental risks. It's really heartbreaking the ingredients that go into these everyday products. And then the deeper that you start looking into that stuff, you know, I think everyone's awareness now has grown around kind of the, the packaging problems. Yeah, um, sure. Yep. Uh, but one of the things that really is staggering about most of the products that you see in your shower or next to your sink or in your medicine cabinet, a lot of them aren't biodegradable. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they are, it will take decades if not generations Mm -hmm. for those ingredients to break down and that's even some ingredients that are derived from from natural things or or plants um just the way that they're synthesized uh and so we really like started the more we learned about it the more concerned we were and you know the third leading cause of smog in the united states is uh from personal care products yeah uh you know when things wash down the drain they get into the ocean. Mm-hmm. It's part of the water cycle. So it's not just the packaging. Yeah. Um, so, so we were kind of like, wow, you know, people there, there's nothing, you know, that the only, the only products that really like meet our needs in this space uh, are really crunchy, you mm-hmm. know, like really, yeah, really, you know, like super <laughs> hippie, you know, older, you know, just like not, not meshing on a brand yep. uh, perspective or, or really shaming too. Mm, and uh, we really felt that, you know, in order to get people excited about using environmentally friendly products, it really, they have to bring people a lot of joy and not shame people. Uh, and then also give people an incredible experience, yeah. not only from effectiveness and quality, but really like transport people. And so in the products that we make today at Bathing Culture, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're like, um, we're very interested in like, Hey, how can we transport people to a redwood grove? How can we give people that feeling of 
riding a wave at, at sunrise. Um, and so really taking a lot of that Northern California sensibility and sharing that and the joy of that and saying like, hey, you know, the world's and, and our experiences as individuals and as communities in the world uh, are incredibly beautiful things and incredibly joyful and exciting things. And let's protect that and celebrate that uh, with the products that we use every day and make sure that they're not creating any harm. Yeah. And, and it was, is that the big reason of using sort of these glass bottles, right? And these refillable sort of ideas where, you know, you're going to run out of something, right? Every, everybody's going to run out of shampoo or, or, uh, you know, bathing, washing soap, whatever it may be. Was that an easy step to take is just not sort of try not to use obviously plastic containers through the product line? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, uh, I know. There are yeah. a lot of, there, there are a lot of trade-offs. And when you start to do kind of analysis of mm -hmm. like full lifestyle, life cycle analysis of different materials. Um, there are, there are trade-offs and I, a lot of how we think about it is making sure that we are on the right path and that we are helping change how people are thinking about using these products, even bar soap versus liquid soap or liquid shampoo versus bar shampoo. Uh, there's a lot of conversation around these things, but when you look at kind of the numbers and the reality of things, and this goes back a little bit too to, to what I was saying earlier about how you need to make sure that it makes economic sense or that there's like the, the need there. Um, by volume, liquid body wash is the most sold personal care product in, in the US and that's liquid. And so if you come in with bar, like a bar, it's like, okay, like some people will use that, but you're missing the vast majority of, of the industry and um, or, or of what, what people are looking for. So for us, it was very much like, okay, like let's, the number one thing people are demanding, the options that are there are problematic. Let's provide something that fixes that problem and then let's continue to push that. Uh, and so for us, you know, we actually started, we started with plastic bottles and it was the biggest investment we had to take. I took essentially like my life savings and huh. bought recycled plastic for mm -hmm. the bottles. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was crazy. We had this experience where we had to talk to so many people. I mean, we must have talked to 20 different companies and so many people telling us like, so we were like, okay, like we need 100% recycled plastic bottles made from California plastic that we put in the recycling bin and comes yeah. back to us. Yeah. And uh, I, I had, I'd say seven plastic industry executives say, there is absolutely no way that you can do that. That is crazy. You can't like, you can't get 100%. It won't work. The quality will be bad. It's going to throw off the product. Uh, and we just kept pushing and kept asking and, and all of this stuff. And eventually we found some people that would do it for us. And they, they thought it was a really bad idea too. They were like, yeah, we'll, we'll make these for you, but you need to buy essentially like a tractor trailer full of these right. models. Yeah. And at that time we're selling like, you know, maybe a hundred, like, we're like, wait, how much of this do we need to sell? Like, there's no way. And so we started, we started with those bottles and it was really interesting. I mean, the things you learn through these processes yeah. too, you know, like so many people you'll see bottles and it'll say, you know, oh, made with recycled material. Yeah. Uh, and so often, you know, it's like 1%. Sure. Even like less than 1%. It's gotten a little better over the last three years, but it's still a total mess. And with kind of the current 
recycling crisis where most recycling is ending up in, in the landfill. A lot of the discussion needs to be about reusing and reducing rather than just saying like, hey, you know, this, this particular bottle can be remade over and over and over again. Um, and so that really drove us into, into glass and glass is, is challenging too, because it is, it's really heavy. So if you're shipping it anywhere, the carbon cost is, is really high and we're, um, we're carbon neutral. So we offset like all of our carbon, but it costs us a lot of sure, money to do yeah, that. No doubt. Uh, and so we really try and encourage people like, Hey, let this be the last bottle that you buy. Uh, especially like on, on the closures and things too, you know, if you have a pump, we're just like, Hey, reuse that over and over again. And what we ended up doing is setting up refills all over uh, the country. So people can take bottles in and it's, uh, less impact for us to send, mm. uh, a gallon or five gallons, uh, all together so that people can go to a, an individual store and, and get a refill. Is that mostly, mostly in California? Yeah, it's, it's mostly in California. Uh, you know, it's, it's been really interesting because it, we launched it about a year ago and immediately we were doing refills in about a hundred locations. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, we were really surprised. Like the demand was just like, boom, like everyone wants refills. It's a big mm -hmm. thing. And people, it's so cool. I mean, so many people are opening refill stores and, yeah. uh, kind of rethinking grocery as well and just like saying like hey like we can have this elevated and and you yeah. know reduce reduce materials but so we 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 did that we got it out and then COVID hit and so a lot sure. of places kind of closed down or, or put the brakes on things but it's been we've been surprised this all through kind of the summer of 2020 and into the fall the requests for refill setups have really continued to to come in um yeah. and and so that's been really exciting to to kind of be in a position to expand that and help the more the more common that stuff becomes yeah um i think like the better that we're going to be environmentally and getting more and more products to do that as well uh is really important let's talk about scale a little bit and kind of you said you had you really i thought it was really 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 smart to kind of go work for that company that um, you knew had a team that know how to do that, right? So you can kind of learn and understand what that is because you're right. Anybody can start a business, right? But it's the one thing that, you know, Silicon Valley still has that another place doesn't have is the ability to scale companies, right? I mean, talent there. And, and now look, everybody, they're kind of in this remote world where you can assemble a team from anywhere, right? And, and kind of do certain things, but there's still, you know, something about, you know, physically like working with each other, right. And being around people. And, and I think it was so smart to do that as an individual, just to learn, right. To educate yourself. So what has it been like taking, you know, skills from that time, learning that, and then taking an into bathing culture, scaling that up, what, what was those learnings look like and what has worked for you guys, right? What, what has worked from a scaling and growth uh, department for the company? Has it just been all yeah. social or has it been email? You know, I mean, let's kind of, let's, let's nerd out a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of, of kind of key, key learnings, I think one of the things that I've taken away from kind of my, my varied career in, in different startups is really the, the thing that so many successful folks have in common is persistence, really just <clears throat> continuing to grind through challenges 
and and just like working through like if things aren't working like continue going continue pushing and that's it's that's really like a dangerous thing to know as well because like there are times i have if i had stuck with healthy lunchables i think i would have like gotta know you gotta know when you know, like it's, sure. it's a yeah, skill to yeah. know when to hang it up yeah 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 exactly and so I, I think that that's that's a the persistence is really like the big picture thing where it's like if there's one thing that i've consistently learned it's like you just keep going but in terms of kind of like the more kind of like finer scale things i think in a in any business it's really important to have um recurring revenue so having a way that you know getting a customer can be really hard you know getting a getting getting that customer acquisition is is never easy and so if you have something where they're only going to buy it once from you you have to do that process over and over and over and over again um and so i think that that's why there's a lot of like like you see software companies where they have these recurring subscriptions you know like i like my uh spotify subscription and my you know netflix subscription all of this stuff they're just like it's just rolling in every month and it's it's not necessarily like a subscription but it's like hey like what is something how can a brand stay stay relevant and and actually be needed you know what is the service that that brand is is providing um and i think that that's something we we have to be thinking about in these conversations is just like what is the value that something is adding in a more concrete way i i think tracking metrics is something that we do that i think a lot of folks don't fully recognize the importance of yeah and even tracking those metrics like very early yeah um and so understanding like okay like what what is it actually costing for us to acquire a customer right, right now and how many of those customers are are returning and how frequently are they returning and it's interesting cuz you know like for some people it's like oh like you, you want them to come back like every two months like over and over and over you know the products that we make are super concentrated yeah um, so it's like we've got like a, a face and body oil and it's like dual purpose too and we sell it in a, a giant container for what it is so that it has less environmental impact and they're not, you know, kind of on that right that tread, treadmill of buying it again and again and again where you know you can get, you know, 6 months of use after it. So we're more interested in, you know, not necessarily like oh are they buying something every 2 months, but it's like are are they here for their lifetime? You know, are are we kind of getting them back? Are they trying these other products as well? And how can we how can we constantly be improving against these metrics as well what processes are working what what aren't another really big thing i mean transparency we do open book management so everyone everyone can kind of see how things are looking and uh that can be really scary as well to you know if people are seeing the expenses they're seeing how much we're bringing in and uh helping folks kind of contextualize you know hey this is this is why you know in an inventory business you know you've got to make huge investments in all of the raw goods and then you don't recoup that until later but bringing in kind of we have a small team and bringing everyone into that process and kind of understanding how all of these pieces work together and are reliant on each other um has really helped create a shared sense of identity and ownership of the the core team that we have something we we were talking about a little bit before we started recording was how to work with partnerships right and, and kind of 
you know, thinking about working with whether it's bigger brands, partnering with different uh, companies in different sectors. And I thought it was interesting. You said you, you, you know, you've turned down stuff, right? Big partnerships that you guys decided not to go to. So walk us through that process of maybe like partnerships that you've had before. Um, how do you look at the industry as a whole, a very massive, massive industry, right? And how do you want to disrupt that? Like you said, from maybe a, a B2B point of view and a, and a manufacturing side, rather than just, you know, B2C. There's a, definitely a B2B thing here that needs to be disrupted from the supply chains and the use of products and ingredients and everything like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of the most of the bad stuff, you know, with products happens uh, behind the scenes before things get to you. Uh, so, like one small example, you know, it's like we getting getting raw goods. You know, you get these pallets of ingredients that come in, and uh, they'll be wrapped in plastic, and it's just like like the amount on a pallet. You know, everyone's kind of seen this. Like you see a pallet, and it's like wrapped in saran wrap. Uh, and there's like an inch of saran wrap, like on those things. And, uh, so, so sometimes it's as, as, as easy. And I say easy because some of these conversations have been incredibly hard, but, but going to folks and saying like, Hey, you know, here's another way to wrap this pallet without plastic. Like you can actually get these boxes and you use the box to put it, uh, everything in, and then you can kind of ratchet it down or use these, these straps. And so reducing a lot of waste or just being smarter about materials, um, having those conversations with folks, pushing different suppliers and saying like, Hey, you know what, we'll, we'll pay a little bit more for this. And that's something that for us, and we we've built a brand that has has a lot of cachet. So people are excited to work with us. And we're also very intense uh, about our environmental and sustainable lens that we put on everything. And, and also, you know, it's not just the environment, it's, it's people and planet. And, you know, people come first in a lot of that, both personal and planetary health. Uh, and so we'll ask folks, you know, we'll, we'll say, we'll ask our partners, I think when, um, when after the Black Lives Matter movement really gained a lot of renewed steam over the summer, uh, we were talking to everyone we worked with and, and asking them, you know, what what is your response to this? What what are what are you folks doing? Uh, what is your roadmap? And it was pretty surprising to us that almost everyone we talked to said that we were the only people that had asked them you know, kind of what they were doing about things. Mm -hmm. And we really take that approach with environmental, environmental mm -hmm. things as well, where we'll mm -hmm. say, you know, hey, what, what is your environmental roadmap on things? You know, are, how are you going to get to carbon neutral? Uh, and people will say, well, you know, but, you know, we're thinking about it. And it's like, well, just show us your roadmap, you know, show us what you're really doing. And there are some national brands. So, so a lot of that's kind of on the supply chain side and really making sure that the people that we're working for or working with are thinking about these things or at least being pushed to think about these things and then that they have plans. And if, if it's something that they're completely close to, uh, we'll find someone else. Uh, and that's we've had to do that a few times where it's just wow. like, you know, if, if people really are not doing the work, we're not going to give them our business because we know that that kind of betrays what we're selling to our customers mm -hmm. uh, and our community. And I, I mean, a lot of on the supply chain as well, a big piece of it is just we use uh, as many organic ingredients as possible. And so from a farm perspective, 
that's like a huge piece of it as well. It's like kind of having these certifications will do a lot of the vetting for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also working with kind of trusted advice, like people who have worked in the industry have worked on an organic uh, certification for generations right, uh, has right. been a huge help. But on the the kind of the retail side or, or more yeah. the consumer facing side, uh, yeah, we've been we've been approached by some massive household brands uh, repeatedly who have wanted to carry us and. One of them in particular, we we ended up they they had a really beautiful kind of presentation about everything that they were doing for uh, you know social justice, environmental justice, all of these things. But when we looked at at their corporate contributions and donations, they were funding a lot of politicians who were doing mm. really harmful things, or just outright denying that. Yeah climate change is even real, which sure. is just so irresponsible at this at this point. And we ended up talking to some of their senior leadership about it and just saying, you know, hey, you know, this this would be transformational for our business, but like we can't work with you until you make more progress on these things and until you stop making these contributions to organizations that you know support really harmful industry or really harmful people who shouldn't be in power. It's really interesting. It's a really, really big, powerful way to kind of look at things is I think, you know, some of us as consumers, right, we, we don't have the power to sort of do that, right? We have the power to buy from you or not from you, right? But we don't have the power to, you know, change internally what corporations are doing. And I think that's an unbelievable position to be in. You know, quite honestly, it's uh, it, it's really, really important that we all kind of understand where we are in sort of the the impact business sort of landscape, where a brand like yours has the power to actually talk to people about this stuff and be listened to, right? And not be, you know, just shoved off or, you know, I mean, look, they, I'm sure they're going to say all the right things, but and that's fine. No, no company's going to change overnight, right? But I think it's an unbelievable idea that a startup can talk to a uh, a big corporation and and say you know we can totally change our business and this would be a great business move for us but it also is like against what we stand for like the company's sort of foundation right and that's a really hard decision to make you know i mean that's a really tough one to make yeah it continues to be hard too because mm -hmm. there's this constant balance between um the impact of scale and kind right. of being it's like hey can we be a bigger a bigger brand that can kind of move move things with that like massive purchasing power and, and that sort of thing or can we be a smaller brand that's enacting kind of this like huge push where people want to work with us and, and we're saying you know hey like we're not willing to work with you and i think part of it is is really making sure that people aren't thinking about these things as a zero sum game. And a lot of it has to do with the altitude that you're at as an organization. Um, so even if, you know, someone listening is just starting something today, that doesn't mean that you're too small to, to kind of push back on people or to ask, just asking people what they're mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. helps them think that, oh, you know, this is something that's important. We're still surprised in talking to suppliers that we are consistently, we're consistently told we're the only people that ask about their environmental roadmap. 
And we're like, well, like we know a bunch of other folks in this space, you know, use you folks as a supplier and they're sure, you know, doing a song and dance about right. their right. environmental plans to consumers. But within the industry, so few folks are doing it. And so I think people don't realize that it's never too soon to start having those conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you mm -hmm. have those conversations when you're small, as you get bigger, it, it becomes easier and easier to have those conversations. And in turning turning down some of these like massive brands or and things like that, it it may be something where it's it's setting the table for us to say yes to them in the future with kind of terms that are better or mm -hmm. that just them understanding um, that they also need to be making progress. Mm -hmm. It's and and a lot of these folks, you know, folks who work in big corporations, it's a lot of great people. You know, yeah. people inherently you know, don't want to destroy the world. Mm -hmm. They don't no want to make, yeah. you know, uh, they don't want to make your aunt sick. You know, pe people really like, they don't want to do harm. I think we need to sometimes change how we think about the role of big corporations mm -hmm. in getting us to a place where we can have a, a healthy planet and, and healthier communities. Um, and a lot of big companies have, have tried to, um, like L'Oreal tried to go completely organic, I think six years ago, and they couldn't because there wasn't enough supply of yeah. organic raw goods for them to be yeah. able to do it. And so they were kind of, they started making these investments in smaller brands that could grow the amount yeah. of overall uh, raw organic goods. And so sometimes there are things like that going on behind the scenes, but mostly it's, it's, it's worse than people think. And mm -hmm. so everyone should be kind of asking, asking the consumer brands they're in love with, you know, Hey, what are, what are you doing on the B2B side? Yeah. And, and another thing I think we chatted about before too, um, before we started recording was, you know, the idea of, I think a lot of brands um, start, right. Especially D2C, right. The sort of direct to consumer brands has sort of exploded the last, you know, five or so years. And it, it's really been, you know, an amazing thing for, for a lot of companies and, and a lot of uh, Shopify has, you know, created an immense company off of it, <laughs> you know, so supplying the technology to help all these DTC brands grow. And, and the one thing I thought was really interesting about what you said was we're not necessarily starting this to get acquired, right? Which I think most sort of CPG brands do. They, they, they want to build a brand, you know, build a business and get acquired by a big company. And you said, you know, that's not really our mission. Our mission is to create jobs here in Oakland, right? Like that, that's, that's kind of a, what we look at as we grow, we get to hire more people locally. And I thought that was a really, a really, really great approach to, to growth and scale, right? It's not looking at who can acquire us, who can buy us, but it's like, you know, how many jobs can we create locally? If, if more consumers really latch on to what we're doing, we can build something pretty great here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there's, um, you know, I think Henry Ford talked about this a lot where, you know, getting the price of the Model T down to a place where his his workers could buy it was like a really important inflection point for them. And kind of the amount of mobility that that brought mm -hmm. to uh, Detroit and to the really the country at that time where when you don't treat labor as disposable. Uh, and where you give people a living wage, that actually 
right now in, in kind of the current in the current capitalist system, like that's that's really an important piece of the equation. And you know, traveling across the country, it's very clear that a lot of communities have been left behind. And so you can make a, an amazing product, um, but if people aren't able to to buy it and, and participate in really like choosing choosing the better product, I think a lot of it. Also, if you look at like the food system, you know, if, if people can't buy, you know, responsible, uh, responsibly grown products that are better for the environment, like we're not going to make pro- process or progress there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is really interesting, you know, it's like, hey, like there's this constant tension where you know a lot of environmentally friendly products have to be expensive Mm, right now because it's so much to to actually use uh environmentally friendly things if you're looking at total cost it's way more expensive um and so it's become like a luxury sector right it's kind of how i think a lot of people look at it yeah and a lot of i mean for i think for a lot of people you know it, it can be somewhat performative too, um, which has its own own challenges. Um, and so I think everyone in this space needs to be thinking about like, hey, how are we building for everyone? And how are we creating more opportunity? Um, and so for us, you know, when we talk about sustainability, we're talking about all of these different layers. We're talking about environmental sustainability, um, but we're also talking about uh, sustainability of our communities uh, and economic sustainability. How can we make sure that we're sustaining a healthy community uh, and not just, you know, making making ourselves or a few people really wealthy? Like that doesn't really accomplish much other than some creature comforts for a few people, which is is pretty irresponsible at this this time in our history. Usually I like to end on, on the future a little bit. I know right now is, is a little bit crazy, um, especially in California, but also the United States and, and, and around the world. And and I know it's a little tough to, to look at the future, but I, I like to get an idea of, of uh, you know, founders goals and missions as they look towards, you know, the future of, of you know, e-commerce and, and sustainability. And I think just the world that we play in is, is business as a, a means to to change a lot of the problems that we want to change. You know, we've, we've seen in the last, you know, 50 years or something, we can't depend on governments and, and, and charities to, to do all the work for us, right? I think it's us as, as business owners, as, as consumers, we really need to rise up and, and actually take a stand ourselves. And, and I think it's it's really important to to notice, as we talked about before, the power that we have, not only as consumers, but you as, as founders, you know, making, you know, making big corporations really think about what they're doing and not be able to, to frankly bullshit through, through their, their, their pitches and things like that. Um, so what do you look at like the next three to five years, you know, for bathing culture, what are some of the goals and missions that you guys want to accomplish? Yeah, it is, it is really interesting. This question coming, coming out of, you know, the year 2020, when we're recording this, because this year for, for us and so many people we work with has really just been about uh, survival and just, you know, surviving, whether you're surviving a pandemic or um, surviving as a, as a growing business. Um, and, and so I think it is interesting to like get that opportunity to, to telescope out and, and think about that. So thank you. Thank you, Grant. But I, I would say, you know, we, we're really excited about the future. I, I think the we have such an abundance mindset 
where we started about four years ago, um, kind of messing around in uh, in Spencer's garage and and in my kitchen, coming up with formulas. And uh, you know, we've grown so much since then, and we've seen so many people and so many companies enter the space, not just for environmental sustainability, but for uh, social justice organizations, businesses that are really adding value to their communities. And there's this just huge shift happening in how people think about commerce and the power of, of what they choose choose to buy or, or not buy. And so we, we're we really excited for more and more people to get into the space and to push bigger industry to, to change. Um, as, a, as an organization, um, we have really ambitious growth plans. Uh, we think that there's a huge opportunity in the personal care space, um, much like in the organic food movement, where that's just continued to pull market share away from yeah. a lot of the environmentally dangerous stuff. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of great products. We're excited. We've been working on a lot of new stuff. Uh, and so people got follow, follow at bathing culture on Instagram or go to bathingculture.com and you can, you can definitely follow along and, and see the stuff we're working on. And we're also excited to provide more transparency to, to our, our customers as a, a kind of barely funded skin of the teeth <laughs> organization. Uh, we haven't really had resources to put into marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much been kind of us doing everything we, we can as, as, uh, <laughs> as a small crew. And so we want to share more just about some of the stuff we're doing with supply chain, how things are actually made yeah. uh, and provide that transparency, not just kind of, uh, to us, but to other people in the industry as well, so that we can all kind of get a little better. You said you're you're excited about sort of you know the growth and the future of the company. Is that coming from? Do you think that growth comes from e-commerce side, rather direct to consumer, or is it with being in you know major major grocery stores across the country, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. We definitely love like the e-commerce, the relationship that you get with. Uh, your customer is, is just completely unrivaled. You know, you yeah. can really know what's, what's going on, what they're liking, what, what didn't go well and make adjustments based on that. You know, e-commerce is a huge part of the future from an environmental perspective, though. I, I think it is something that everyone needs to slow down around a little bit. Just the amount of shipping that's going on right now is great point. Alarming. Yeah. And that most of that is not being thought about and uh, speed at the amount that we're kind of prioritizing speed. Uh, some of the big players, I mean, you know, people will look at Amazon and we could have a whole another, it's like a whole nother podcast. Sure. I'm sure there's a whole podcast about it. But, um, you know, with, oh, you know, they're putting distribution hubs very locally and they have local delivery drivers and a lot of, e-commerce brands, especially like mid-sized folks, like we're, we're replicating some of that where we're getting product kind of to different hubs all over the United States so that the carbon, you know, most people are thinking sure. about that from like just the, the dollars and cents. We're thinking about it from, yeah, you know, how much does that cost us financially, but also what's the total cost? Uh, what's the carbon cost of that? 
because if we're sending everything out of Oakland or San Francisco and, you know, it's going to New York, uh, suddenly right. that if, if someone's flying, you know, you're flying a bottle of soap to New York, that's like crazy. Uh, so we are like, okay, like from a carbon perspective, we can't, we can't be doing that. Let's make sure we have products just outside of New York in a warehouse that we can get to folks. And, and that's something that can only come at, at kind of the scale that we're achieving now. Um, and so there is some environmental, some, some improved environmental impact that we can have at a larger scale, which we're excited about. Um, but we're also, you know, cautious about some of these trends and, and what they mean for the planet. Thanks so much, Tim. I appreciate you taking the time, man. And, and tell uh, Spencer, keep up the great work as well. And just, uh, just keep grinding, man. Keep, keep building uh, the company and the brand and hope to see bathing culture, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be able to go get it in Amsterdam or something and yeah. you're able to stop by and get it at a store or something. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm so, I'm so stoked for your move and I hope <laughs> everything goes really well. I'll continue to, to listen to the podcast and definitely, definitely love the message that you're spreading. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it, my man.